On this episode of Society's Waltz, we'll be looking at the development of the suburban communities in Canada in the 1950s, and how they have both changed and remained the same into the present day. I'm your host, Grace Leishman, and welcome to The Waltz. I think we can all agree that World War II has had a huge impact on the world. From the nuclear fallout of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, to the millions of deaths of those who were in prison in concentration camps, and the millions more that were forcibly pushed from their countries to seek refuge elsewhere. I could go on and on about all the atrocities committed within this war, but really, I would just be repeating what you would learn in your grade 10 socials class. Instead, why don't we turn our eyes over to North America, or more specifically, Canada, and take a look at how Canadians rebuilt their lives after the war. Our story begins in 1945. After six long years of constant fighting, the war has finally ended, and both those overseas and on the home front can finally relax knowing that they are safe once more. However, there is one question on their minds that they can't seem to shake. What now? With the last six years of their lives dedicated to constant worry and endless work that came with the war, many had not made plans for the future, holding back from buying a house and starting a family. But with the weight of war lifted and accompanied by the National Housing Act of 1944, many veterans were able to come home and start their lives anew in the promised lands of suburbia. There were many things that were appealing about suburbia to young couples in the 1950s. Many commercials and ads showed off a family of a husband and wife, sometimes with a couple of kids, living in a house that was perfectly fitted to their needs. And for many Canadians moving to the suburbs, this was truly what it felt like when you came to these towns. The way these towns were set up, one would rarely need to leave the area for what they needed, with town centres often having shops and entertainment that would keep families within their suburban paradise. This is one of the main reasons why these communities became so close-knit, creating the view of the suburbs that we are so used to in present day of block parties and community festivals. This sense of community also branched to the local elementary and high schools, where clubs and sports teams were a very common thing amongst the student body. School spirit became a common thing and only brought more competitiveness to these different towns, strengthening the bonds of those both on and off the fields with a little bit of friendly competition. As for the school clubs, they helped many young students find a passion for subjects such as the arts or debates, where those involved could pursue their interests with many like-minded peers, only tightening the knot of an already close town. This closeness of a community would only grow with time, when those who had lived within these tight-knit groups started their own families within the suburbs and passed the life they had known in the 50s onto their children. Even with the pressures of family life and work, 
many notable community members would take the time out of their day to organize groups and events to continue this feeling of community in the town, with both things from their youth and new ideas from both young and old. One example of this would be the Deep Cove Stage Society in North Vancouver, BC, which had started in 1976 as a way to bring theatre to the community. The two founding members, Trevor and Jill Adams, had brought their theatre experience from the UK, and soon many other members of the community joined in and started a tradition of Christmas pantomimes in Deep Cove that has never missed a year until the 2020 pandemic. One of those original members was Anne Booth, an immigrant from England who I had the chance to speak to recently. She had a bit to say about working with others within the Deep Cove Stage Society. But uh, I discovered that there was a, um, a theatre company called Deep Coast Stage that had just not too long ago had taken over the old um, community hall on um, Panorama Drive. And um, so, you know, I got sort of enticed into, oh, well, we're now doing a play for such and such, or we're now doing whatever. And I ended up painting bits that either were behind windows that had net curtains on and never got seen. Or um, the ghost train was a station where I painted the platform. Um, but, you know, there was a door that you came in and out. But nevertheless, I wasn't put off. And uh, uh, getting to know people and getting a little bit more confidence. And the camaraderie that you get doing a play you become very close you become like a little family and so even when you say oh I'm never going to work on a play again the next time a play comes along would you like to do costumes or would you like to do the set or would you like to do would you produce it for us oh well all right because you know there's happy times I mean, there's also, you know, times when you could wring somebody's neck. But um, most of all, it's, it's the camaraderie. And, and I could meet somebody now that I had worked in a play 30 years ago, and it would be like, we, we just need, saw each other last week. Because we have a memory that we can connect into, and a joyous time that we can connect into, that keeps it you know, alive and fun and whatever. Deep self is known for both its beautiful views as well as its overwhelming artistic community. Even the local high school, Seco Secondary, is seen as the artsy school. But even though back when the cove was beginning to be properly developed into a small community, the artistic side of things didn't have a proper home in the cove until 1992, when Anne and many others in different groups from the Deep Cove Historical Society and the Seymour Arts Gallery opened the Deep Cove Cultural Center. And, um... The district stepped in, uh, the district of North Van, and their architect and their team designed the current building 
on what a volunteer group of people could support. And um, we agreed and we um, did a lot of fundraising after that. We did a telethon through the TV. We um, tons of fundraising, this, that and t'other. We joined parades to try and let it be known what we were doing. Um, you know, we are going to be the cultural, uh, you know, let's just do it. Uh, let's, you know, get on with it. And um, it took us five years. And, uh, and then we opened in April 1992. Obviously, none of that could have happened if not for the community stepping up and giving their money to help build what is now a staple of Deep Cove. And although it would be nice to say that this feeling of a close community has persisted to the present day, that wouldn't be entirely true. As with towns and cities, many of these small suburban towns have grown to the point where there are just too many people and places for it to be possible to have the tight-knit community atmosphere that was once so prevalent in the suburbs. Anne herself has seen this happen with the artistic community in the Cove. I think, I, I just wish that young people, I'm glad that Seacove has an art, has a drama uh, program, but young people um, are so busy these days, you know, they're going up. It's hard to, to sustain, you know, we all get a little bit old in there and we need a younger generation to <coughs> discover the joys of um, being creative together in person, not just at home doing your own thing. Um, and uh, so it's a shame that everybody's lives have got so busy, especially young people's lives have got so busy because I think that's a dying art of being involved in a community theatre. And yet, even with all these reasons for these communities to fall apart, they still are able to persist, even if they aren't as close as they used to be. But why is that? Well, we can turn our attention back to how the suburbs themselves had been built and set up in the 1950s. Even though they had become much more developed than what was originally planned, the way they had promoted a tight-knit community back in the 50s has stayed with those who grew up in these places, even as the ideal environment for these communities were taken away. In short, even as the people and places have changed over the years, the community culture has stayed thanks to the design of the 1950s suburbs a feeling of community staying constant through both thick and thin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Society's Waltz. Make sure to subscribe so you'll always know when a new episode is out. And I would like to give a huge thank you to Anne Booth for allowing me to interview and use the stories she has told me in this episode.